0: Vino Line Media presents Business First.
1: Hi, all, and welcome to a new edition of Business First with Sonia Aline. I am your host. And today we are talking to someone who's carved out a very special and important niche in healthcare. Um, healthcare, as you know, has and continues to be one of the fastest growing industries. In fact, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, five out of the 20 fastest growing industries through 2029 are in healthcare and social services. And this gentleman in his company, which he co-founded, called Independent Medical Group, gets to check off both of those boxes. And so we welcome Steve Viximar. Steve, how are you?
0: I'm great. Thank you so much.
1: Good, good, good. So I I want to let the audience know that you've co-founded this company with your partner, Clifford Knight's.
0: Correct. Clifford and I have been business partners for about 20 years now. So, yeah, we started this company together back in 2014, but we've been business partners.
1: Oh, I was going to say, like, how old were you when you became business partners 20 years ago? Okay. (laughs)
0: Yeah, um, uh, actually, we were I was maybe 16 to 17 years old. We were in high school. And um, how we got started is really um, being in class. And I remember Cliff needing to make like a car payment. And we thought, I'm like, hey, listen, um, let's throw parties. Let's throw a party to help raise them and get the money to make your car payment. So our first company was CNS Promotions, Cliff and Steve Promotions, in high school, and it just started out of you know just trying to make his car payment. You know what I mean so that way we can um, uh, um you know make his car payment. So we threw started throwing parties, and that's kind of how we got started. And I was like, our first wow.
1: Part. So have you ever worked for anyone, or did you just start off as an entrepreneurial soul, and that's what it's been?
0: You know what? Ever since I was a kid, I had kind of an entrepreneur spirit. Being of um immigrant parents, um, they've always had that entrepreneur spirit. So I've always, you know, was like sold cakes and sold candy and stuff in school. So I kind of always had the entrepreneurial spirit. I did have a few jobs growing up. I worked at you know McDonald's in high school. I think everybody kind of started at a fast food you know chain. I might have I might have had one call center job. But in between then, me and Cliff has always had our own okay.
1: Well, uh, and also coming from immigrant parents, I'm sure that the, the encouragement was to be either a doctor or an attorney or an engineer. So how did you convince yeah. your parents that, no, I think I, I'm, I'm going to figure this out on my
0: own? Yeah. You know what? Um, as a kid, I always wanted to be a doctor because I always felt as if being a doctor would, would give me the opportunity to provide and help more. So, yeah, I've always had that push from my, my parents that hey, you need to become a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, something stable. I think that um, for them, the few ups and downs that we had, luckily for Cliff and I, when we started in the high school throwing parties, we were able to have some some rather quick successes. So I think that they saw the ambition in us and were like, OK, I see that you guys, you know, threw a party. You know, back then, this is 98, 99. So if, I, if we threw a party and made $10,000, we thought we were rich. So for my, so for my parents, then they were like, okay, they kind of seen um, some of the ambition that we had. So they just kind of allow us to, you know, to do what we wanted to do. But yeah, it was, it was, it was challenging. Wow, I can
1: imagine, so, but you all work well, you two work well together, obviously, because this is a 20 year, not only friendship, but business relationship. And now you started this really important, I'm excited for you to, to tell our audience about your company, Independent Medical Group. Tell us a little bit about you.
0: Yes, so Independent Medical Group is a um, specialty healthcare clinic. We do testing for HIV, hepatitis C, and STDs primarily in the underserved community here in South Florida. Uh, We are planning to go nationwide, but um, today we have uh, eight brick and mortar clinics and twelve mobile clinics that span the state of Florida. And we primarily go to the underserved community um, to provide healthcare. Okay. And so what inspired that idea? So back to Cliff and I. We like um we call a lot of people call us pinky in the brain because Cliff is um, Cliff has all of these great ideas and I'm more of the operational guy. So I think of, okay, here's what we're trying to do, and then I, you know, trying to figure out the blueprint and the roadmap to get us there. So we started in high school throwing parties and the club owner that, um, that we threw parties I actually owned a specialty pharmacy that was servicing HIV patients down in um, Liberty City, some of the underserved communities here in Miami. So when I first started, I would do the deliveries, delivering the medication you know, to these patients. And then Clifford came on board and I, you know, I went from doing the deliveries. I became a pharmacy technician. Once we graduated high school, I started um, going to college and study business. So then I started doing like some of the marketing and business development for the pharmacy. So I spent about two years learning a lot about pharmacy and learning a lot about um, the underserved community and HIV and realizing again the healthcare disparities in the black and brown community, especially when it, when it came to HIV and just a lot of the stigma that was associated around it. Um, we would have to deliver the medication in like brown paper bags because people wanted to be discreet. So it was a lot of these things and just lack of knowledge and education of HIV. So doing that for a few years, uh, we had the pharmacy. At that point, that pharmacy sold to Eckerd's. Um, and for those that, that probably just tells my age there. <laughs> so, um, so that pharmacy sold to Eckerd's. And once they sold to Eckerd's, um, Cliff and I, because we knew all the all of the patients and all on all of the doctors, we decided, you know what, let's go ahead and open up our own pharmacy because we knew that the big box store would not cater to the patients the way we would. They wouldn't want to deliver the medication. They wouldn't help them with some of their social economic needs and things of that sort. So that's kind of what got us into the HIV uh, specialty space. Granted, I'm not a doctor, it's not a doctor.
1: All right. Yeah. So I want to back up just just a little bit. So what made you, so you had, you know, you had dealt with this pharmacy for about two years and you were doing a lot of mm-hmm. relational stuff. You had taken a couple of classes, so you understood marketing, but what made you think that you
0: could open up a pharmacy? I don't know. I just think that um, just coming from where we come from, taking risk, I guess, um, understanding the couple of years that I spent there and understanding the need of the community and kind of realizing that no one else was going to do it. It was really just out of need and necessity, right? And compassion for the people that we were already kind of servicing. And that was the first time that I realized that healthcare was more economics Mm. than health. Um, Because when Eckerd's bought the pharmacy from us, and I hate to say the name, like I'm talking bad about this corporation, but when they bought the pharmacy, our mandate, our mission when we had this pharmacy was to service the underserved, right? So- we would deliver medication at about, you know, 20, 30 mile circumference. It didn't matter where the patient was, we we're gonna get your medication to you because we know that you didn't have transportation. And we know that, you know, you didn't have some of these um resources to get to the pharmacy to get to the doctor. So we tried to make it as convenient as possible. And this is back in ninety-nine. So when Eckers bought the pharmacy, they purchased the, the patient base and the revenue, but they didn't care about trying to service that community. Um, And I get it. I mean, they're a big corporation, you know, logistically didn't make sense for them. You know, those big box stores, their whole model is they want you to come to the store because they want you to buy the $10 toothpaste. So at that moment is when we realized like, wait, yes, they sold the store. So who's going to take care of our patients? Who's going to take care of these people that, you know, we've been servicing for all these years? And I think that's when we were like, you know what, we got to figure out a way to get our own pharmacy back in the community because if we don't do it, no one else will. So that's kind of what drove us to do it. It was kind of out of necessity for the people. Okay, and so what did the first part of your business actually look like? It was was a long road, right? Because again, being that Cliff and I are not doctors, we're not pharmacists, so trying to understand the landscape, okay, so how do we get, how do we open up a pharmacy if we're not professionals? The good thing that we did learn from working with that previous pharmacy is that that gentleman wasn't a pharmacist either. Mm -hmm. He was a businessman. He had a pharmacist as a partner and he hired pharmacists. So I knew very quickly that, okay, this can be done. I don't necessarily need to be a pharmacist. I just need to find a pharmacist that has the same goal and mission that we had. And that's what we had to do. We had to find a pharmacist that understood what we were doing. The time frame to get a pharmacy open and get it, at least just the licensure takes about six to nine months. Um, so we had to take some time and had to find somebody who believed in what we were doing, that was willing to kind of sacrifice with us. I mean, there was many... Uh, dollar menu nights and days, and um, my wife kind of understanding the struggle, but, um, but yeah, having somebody who kind of believed in, 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 you know, putting your money kind of where your mouth is. So Cliff and I just worked as much as we could and saved up every dollar and ate, you know, Wendy's dollar menu for months to try to, you know, to get the pharmacy up and running. So that's kind of how we was able to, you know. Get
1: and so what is it that makes your, the, the services that you offer to the community, what is it that makes it so unique?
0: So fast forward to 2014, uh, Cliff and I had, you know, many of experiences in the pharmacy space and in the pharmacy space, um, when you're servicing the underserved community, unfortunately, um, there are, you know, legal uh, parameters in regards to what you can provide. Right. Which is silly because I'm giving someone medication and I'm telling them take it with food, but yet they have no money to buy food. Right. But then I can't give them any food. So we realized there was some challenge. And so legally you can't do that. Right. Okay. You cannot do that. You cannot do that um, because then it seems what they call inducement is as, well as if I'm paying this person to come to my mm. pharmacy. So fast forward to 2014, you know, we had our stint in pharmacy. Our lawyer was like, Hey, listen, one of the best ways in order for you guys to continue providing for the community is if you guys actually own, own the clinic yourself, own the clinic and service these patients on that side, as opposed to the pharmacy side, then you're able to provide more. There's certain designations you're able to get. One of the things we're able to get was uh, a designation from the CDC and the Department of Health in order for us to go out and provide some of these services. So all of the services we provide are absolutely free. One of the differentiators for what we do is we actually bring the services to the community. If you understand the black and brown and underserved communities, some of the social economic issues that they face is obviously finances, transportation, and these things. So hence, is the, hence the reason why we have more mobile units than brick and mortar, because our mobile clinics will go into the community and test um, and test, uh, test the patients and test the, the, the customers there. So the, the, the biggest differentiator for us is the fact that we bring the services to the people and we take care of the people that no one really wants to take care of, unfortunately. Um the black and brown community, underserved community, are some of the most difficult as it relates to compliance and adherence, right? Because mm-hmm. you and I both, you I mean, go to the doctor, we, you know, if you have a stomachache or antibiotic, you never finish your medication regimen. You take two or three, you start right. feeling better, like oh, okay, I don't need this. I mean, so you got to figure if someone is homeless or transient or substance abuse, they definitely are not compliant with their HIV or their hepatitis C or any of that stuff. So just kind of reassuring them and and, and you know constantly being there, letting them know that you actually care. And bringing the services to them is one of the biggest differentiators.
1: And so one of the things, too, that you've done really well is uh, you've managed the stigma around these diseases, but also you've you provide great privacy for people as well. So tell us a little bit about like when your mobile unit shows up, how you even bring people in to, uh, to to get the testing and to get the services
0: Right, right, right. Um, One of the biggest challenges with HIV, obviously, is the stigma, right? Um, and, and stigma is really just lack of education and knowledge, not really understanding HIV and how it's contracted and things of that sort. So for us, one of the things that we do when we grow in the community is we just offer free medical screening. So most of us uh, in the black and brown community, we're always you know eager to find out about our cholesterol, our diabetes, some of the kind of common things that we know of, right? So Typically, when we go out, we tell people, hey, we're going to do free medical screenings. And people are really more... um Willing to come and get tested when they know that when they know that you're just doing a general medical screening. Once they get into the mobile unit or once they get into the clinic is when we kind of start talking to them about sexual health and the different things. And um, and if they're at risk, we start talking to them about their risk factors because if you're homeless or if you're substance abuse, if you're transient, if you have a certain risky your lifestyle, you're at risk for catching HIV or STD or or even Hep C for that matter. So that's how we kind of get the conversation going. So we don't plaster our mobile units with HIV. We don't you know we don't do any of that. Granted, December is World AIDS, um, uh, AIDS Awareness Month, and tomorrow is World AIDS Day. So days like those days, we're out and we're talking to the community about HIV and AIDS. On a day-to-day, we try not to talk about it as much until, you know, you're in the privacy of a conversation with a with a doctor or with one of our, our medical assistants. Then we, you know, start talking about, right. you know, HIV.
1: So I imagine you get a, a lot of engagement, far more than you did with the the, the, the first pharmacy that you worked with. Correct. Can you talk to us about like what you've seen and the type of engagement you have
0: and 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 how people relate to you? Yeah, I I realized that um very quickly that helping helping with the social economic needs, people are more receptive to getting health care. So the engagement in getting the community involved is great, right? Because the fact that we're always out there, we're providing, so they know that it's not just a a a economic and financial thing for us. Again, all of the healthcare services we provide are absolutely free. It's free to get tested. You don't have insurance. It doesn't matter. We help you get insurance. So I think that being able to be accepting of all is what helps us uh, get that engagement with the community. We're not, you know, the ones that trying to shine people away if you don't have insurance. So if you don't look a certain way, we don't really, to us, it's kind of come on, come all. Cliff likes to always say, the money's kind of in the dirt for him. He always says that. He's like, listen, we got to go to the places where nobody else was to go. So that homeless shelter, we're going to go, there, provide healthcare services to the people. Oh, the, those guys under the bridge, we're going to go, there, bring our, our mobile unit out and we're going to you know, provide services for them under the bridge. So I think the engagement is because we're willing to go into those places where most people won't go. So that's why the community embraces Wow! So
1: and so what do you think you've learned um, about, I mean, there's some obvious things just in, in you sharing your story, uh, but what were some of the things that you actually learned about healthcare disparities, um, what people need and, and what's possible, like what we could do better as a society, as a community to make sure that more people are included in our healthcare system.
0: Yeah, I think there needs to be a more organized, I guess, resource center and opportunity for people, right? Because our healthcare system is so compartmentalized, right? You can even, I mean, I don't want to get down the COVID path, but you can even see kind of with COVID, right? It's like, yeah, there's, you know, rules and regulations for the elderly or for the, you know, middle age and then for pediatrics. So it's like, it's not all... uh Uniform, I guess to say. So it's very compartmentalized, right? So with HIV, it's even different. You can even see it down to um, the marketing and the advertisement for HIV. You can see that a lot of it is directed to a certain community, right? To me, I feel as if, if you're going to provide services, you need to be able to take care of that entire patient. So if a patient comes into a health system, you need to understand, hey, I need to provide primary care. And if you need specialty like HIV and hepatitis C, you need to be able to provide that. If that person has social economic issues, you need to be able to provide them a resource with that. It's hard for someone to worry about their health if their life is in shambles, right? So being able to have resources and make sure that they all work together is one of the biggest challenges, I think, in our healthcare system. One of the things that Cliff and I try to do is try to provide as many of those ancillary services as we possibly can, at least for the modalities that we deal with. So I know that if I'm going to an underserved community and I'm going to mental health and substance abuse places, they're probably going to have mental health issues. They're probably going to have substance abuse issues. So I need to make sure I find those resources that I can send them to to help them while I'm providing the medical need for HIV and hepatitis C. So having kind of like that full um, array of services is, I think is the best route. And it's one of the things that I've learned is like, Oh, okay. Like it's really compartmentalized. Like you'll go one place with one thing and then they'll send you somewhere else. And it's difficult for people to try to Get a full um, healthcare service if you're kind of getting sent all over the place. Right, you know right. I mean? you, your
1: story is is really inspiring for for a number of reasons, and and one of them is that. And we talked about this a little earlier. You don't have a healthcare background, and you and 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 you don't really have an entrepreneurial background, right? Like you did some things as as a teenager, and they worked out, and they encouraged you, right? And so when you think about people who decide. At, at as an adult, that they're going to be entrepreneurs, you know, they, they feel like they, I need to go get a degree or I need to go study something or I need to get a mentor. And so what would you advise for someone who's listening to you who is just like, wow, like these guys did it? And they didn't have X, Y, and Z. What were, What are some of the skills? What is What would you say like your skills, talents, even your passions? Like, what were some of the things that you think really do contribute to your success in this business?
0: Um. So, not not having entrepreneurial or you know medical background. So, like I said, being the kid of immigrants, I seen my mom, and my grandma. They've always had that entrepreneur spirit. I mean, like I'm Haitian for background, and I think that any Caribbean person parent had a state of where they're buying goods and shipping it back to their country and they are kind of doing that or either had a corner store had so i've had entrepreneurs in my family none none you know that was you know uber successful but all of them had were willing to take mm-hmm. risk put it that way so i think that taking risk is kind of something that was kind of ingrained in us um, so for me what drove me to to become an entrepreneur was that first thing that I had at the pharmacy, kind of understanding, like, okay, in order to do this, is really just understanding and educating myself in how to execute and believing that um, that I can do it. I guess um, I'd rather take the risk on myself than working at a at a company. I remember one company that Cliff and I did work for for about six months. I remember thinking that I remember it was December, and I don't want to I don't want to say the name of the company, but I remember it was like November December and they decided to fire like 60 or 70 people right before Christmas it was like right around this time I remember thinking to myself like how can you rely on stability? If you're taught to go to school, get a degree, go to work, and that's stable when a company can just lay you off at any point, then that's not really stability. I'd rather, you know, focus on myself and, 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 and risk myself, right? And bet on myself. So that's kind of like the approach that we've always had is like, okay, listen, instead of doing this for someone else, let's just do it for ourselves, right? And at least we kind of control our own destiny. So I think that the, one thing I would tell anybody is believe in yourself, right? Find the thing that you're passionate about. And as cliche as it sounds, find the thing that you're passionate about. And it don't seem like work. When I talk to people and I'm like, hey, I've been doing this for 20 years. They're like, what, 20 years? I'm like, oh, 20 years passed by that quick? I haven't even realized it, right? Um, So find the thing that you're passionate about and believe in yourself.
1: So where do you see yourself um, going now? Um, do you think you said you want to expand out of Florida? So, where in Florida are you? Are you, are you specifically in South, South Florida, or you are all over the state?
0: So today, our corporate office is in South Florida, but we do have reach throughout the state of Florida. Um, we do cover pretty much the entire state. Like I said, we have eight brick and mortar clinics, but twelve mobile clinics. We probably would have had okay. twenty if it wasn't for COVID, wow. and you know some of the.
1: And and the, the brick and mortar places are are where are they are they all over the state as well.
0: Correct. We have a friend from Orlando, Tampa, Palm Bay, Broward County, Dade County, Palm Beach, pretty much covered the gambit. Um, I think for 2022, we're projected to open up maybe five additional brick and mortar locations and another 10 or 12 uh, mobile units. Again, like I mentioned, the mobile units are the ones who kind of go out into the community. So, so the goal is to go nationwide. Um, there are other communities throughout the country, obviously, that, that have the same healthcare disparities and the same issues, um, that we have here in South Florida. So we've kind of mastered the approach and the outreach um in those communities. So we know that we can duplicate this nationwide in certain areas. So we have been talking to the Department of Health in some in some states and how to deploy kind of our plan in in um in some of these different states. So yeah, so we definitely have some some goals in in, in mind and going to some other communities throughout the country that we know, Georgia uh, Ohio, some different places that we've been having conversations with that we know that we can. Yeah.
1: How big is your current staff, and would you consider franchising? If that's something that you think you might do.
0: Um, so today, if I remember correctly, I think we're down. I think we have about ninety employees, maybe ninety or so employees. So it's a lean operation. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty lean. Um, ninety employees. We have um, franchising. I don't know if we want to franchise. Um, we, you know, Cliff and I have spoken a couple of times about. You know, opening up multiple locations and bringing on partners. The one thing that we, we figured out when we um when we were working with other pharmacies and trying to work with other clinics, everybody doesn't have the vision that you have. And, and unfortunate in healthcare, like I said in the beginning of the conversation, it's more finance than it is health. So a lot of times it's bottom line driven, and we're not like that. So when you start talking to bigger health systems and bigger, and, you know, they're they're always about, hey, what's the bottom line? Why are you servicing homeless people? They don't have insurance. I mean, that's what people tell us all the time. How do you make money? These when I'm charge of people. We're like, listen, it's OK. You can you can actually provide free health care to people and still make a profit. I just, you know, I'm not, not going to be Jeff Bezos overnight, but I know I'm still making an impact in the community. So I don't know about the franchise model as much. I, we, I think we'd rather just kind of do it on our own so that way we don't have to hear anybody telling us that we can't continue providing the free health care. That yeah. Is.
1: And, you know, that's a real concern. And so I'm glad you you brought that up too, because I do know, and I, I won't mention their names, but yeah, they, you know, they either had bigger partners or corporate partners and the brand is just very different, It you know, because it, you know they had the same idea it's like how are you making money if you're putting all of this stuff in your you know you've got to reduce the product or you've got to reduce the amount of you know x y and z that you're you know that you're offering and so you all feel really strongly about the what you're offering and how you're going to continue to offer it obviously
0: right yeah yeah i am be honest like something as simple as i mean because i'm operations i'm a numbers guy right so one of the things that we do of all of our clinics, we provide, you know, obviously we give, you know, water, we give snacks and stuff when people kind of come in because we know a lot of the people are transient. So we have little lunch bags and try to give little stuff. So, like, just looking at the numbers simply, I mean, I don't want to talk numbers, but um, we could probably net an additional 150000 just by eliminating that, right? So I know that a corporate, you know, person will come in and say, hey, listen, we want to increase our bottom line. No no more water at any of the clinics, no more coffee, no more water, no more snacks, I'm like, no, we're not doing that. You know what I mean? So things like that, that I, that I know that if you're just looking from the outside and just looking at numbers, what's important to us, someone would be like, hey, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're going to increase our bottom line. We're no longer free health No free antibiotics. We're not doing any of this free stuff. You know what I mean? So for us, I think that we want to stay true to our mission. And why we got into this is because we wanted to provide services to the, those that were, you know, being forgotten, right, and and, and educate them. So um, franchising changes that a little bit. Um but we've had offers that people come try to buy us and it just wasn't it just wasn't right. We want somebody who feels the same way that we feel and want to make sure we continue doing what we doing. Right.
1: Just just lift off some of the, the services that you offer. And, and do you think that you'll be expanding on any of the, the services so far? Or do you think you're pretty comprehensive in,
0: in what you do? So today we do uh, free HIV, hepatitis C, STD testing. Beyond that, we help people get insurance. We do transportation. We do prioritizations. We help with a lot of this. We help with housing. Um, so there's a lot of kind of socioeconomic stuff that we do as it relates to getting health care done. The medical services itself, we don't plan on expanding outside of that. And primarily because we want to stick to what we know. We try you know, we try not to boil the ocean like Cliff liked to say a lot. We want to just kind of stick to what we know. And it helps us become um, partners and affiliates with other clinics. So they don't think of us as competition. So I can go to a primary care doctor, or I can go to a gastro or different modalities and tell them, Hey, let me deal with your difficult patients for you. Right. So let me just focus on the difficult patients and you continue doing what you do. Cause we want to seem as if we're competing with the other franchise clinics out there. Cause we're not right. We want to deal with the most difficult patients, the patients that you don't want to deal with, send them to us. So I think that we just want to master what we do a little bit better and, um, and maybe implement some other, uh, Medical services that we know that um, our patients would deal with. Like I said, a lot of our patients have comorbidities like mental health, so we may want to eventually maybe bring that in house. But until, not no time soon. Right now, we just kind of want to master what we do best and um, and and just just do that until you know we get our uh, our nationwide thing going, and maybe we'll, we'll bring another. No okay. Well,
1: I want to thank you for sharing your story and your inspiration um, with the audience. You're a great example that you can do good and do well at the same time. And I hope that you are inspiring just people. I, well, I know you're inspiring people daily, but I'm I'm, I'm, and I'm sure you're going to be inspiring some of our listeners that if they want to go into the healthcare industry, or if they want to go into social services, that it's it's possible to create a whole different paradigm for yourself if you're in
0: touch with you know your communities the way uh, you all have been
1: so steve where can we find you or follow you or visit you
0: Yes. Um, so for more information, you can go to imghealthclinic.com or you can follow us on any social media handle at, at imghealthclinic.
1: Thank you. Thank you for, for coming and sharing. And we look forward to having you back as you grow and to hear all the other all, all the other great things that we know you'll be doing.
0: Absolutely. Thank you
1: so much. Thank you so much. Okay. It was a pleasure. Take care. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you again next week. Take care.
0: The Business First Podcast is hosted and produced by Sonia Lee, Associate Producer, Ariel Mancibo, Executive Producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Business First Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And on social at business underscore first underscore podcast on IG. The Business First Podcast is a Mean Old Line Media production.